How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 233 of X-Lapsed, or uh, I guess I might call it a Momentum Killer Day in the world of X-Lapsed here. Uh, a little bit of a peek behind the curtain here. I um, I don't usually record these shows far in advance, just in case, you know, we get some news, like our, uh, our head of X leaving the family, like we found out last time here. So I don't record things ahead of time, but I do write my scripts and notes and all that stuff. A fair bit ahead of time to uh, just to allow for life to get in the way, right? I, I like having having a few scripts in the can just so uh, if uh, one day I'm just not feeling up to it, or if I have an appointment, or if work does what work sometimes does and uh, takes over life, I don't have to worry about uh, filling out you know twenty or so pages of uh, notes and script, and uh, it usually works out well. At any given time, I'm usually three or four scripts ahead of where I am recording-wise. That is, until uh, it's X-Corp Day, where I will have this book on my nightstand and think, okay, you know, I could read this, write the thing, and record it in a few days, but uh, I just don't want to. <laughs> I just don't want to. I find any way to productively assuage myself of the responsibility of reading this thing, because... uh well, uh, A, uh, so far I haven't liked it very much, <laughs> and B, contrary to uh, some opinions, uh, I don't like being negative on the show. I don't like reveling in negativity. But uh, that said, it took me a little while to get this script done because uh, I just didn't want to do it. And uh, I'm so anal about the way I do uh, the scripting that I couldn't just skip it. You know, I couldn't jump to... You know, next episode's issue of Marauders, and just go from there, and then eventually get to X-Corp whenever, you know, I got around to it. So yes, this is the Momentum Killer, and uh, let's get into it, shall we? This is X-Corp number three, hopefully of five, um, September 2021 cover date. Story's called The Mad Rock's Workflow, written by Teeny Howard, with art by Valentine Delandro. Colors Sunny Go, letters VCs Clayton Cowles, designs Tom Muller, head of X for now, Hickman. Edit Samaro White Sabolski, cover price $3.99. This one went on sale July 14th of 2021. Now let's start out by looking at the cover, because it's a darn fine cover, isn't it? Now we got Jamie Madrox there, kind of looking like Michael Scott, you know, world's best bosses uh, mug in hand. Uh, David Aha or Aja Art. Really good stuff. Really, really nice looking cover. It really jumps off the, the racks at you there. And uh, should we stop there? Should we just go to the uh, mailbag? At the, no, pro we probably should. But, uh, I mean, we haven't been doing this every day for a year to let this book stop us. Um, let's open it up. 
It's a one-page strip asking the question, who is Dr. Jamie Madrox? Which tells me that, at the very least, our writer visited Wikipedia at some point in the recent past. Now, as legend has it, uh, Jamie's mutant ability manifested immediately at birth. Now, when the doctor who delivered him gave him, you know, a little whack on the hiney to uh, get the first cries out, uh, as legend has it, Jamie split into two. Now, whether or not this is possible has been argued among the fandom for, like, 30 years at this point. Uh, many of us are more familiar and comfortable with the uh, mutant abilities manifesting at puberty, and I guess we know which side of the argument uh, our writer falls on, uh, assuming, of course, she realizes that there is an argument in the first place. Anyway, Jamie was discovered by Mr. Fantastic back in Giant Size Fantastic Four number 4, then handed over to Professor X. Now, our all-inclusive history of the character then skips several decades' worth of character development to show Jamie on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. Then, into the Peter David Madrox series, where uh, that told us that Jamie would send dupes out to learn and experience life, and then reabsorb them to gain their insights. And now he's working for X-Corp. From here, we get a sorta kinda info page, which looks like notes scrolled on a whiteboard. Here we learn that the dupes are sent out on a Monday and reabsorbed on a Friday. Now, the current project is the IBG, an ionospheric bandwidth generator. Now, this is to be launched at a big Tech Talk Expo, where we'll be spending much of the rest of this issue. Double-page spread of roll-calling cred, our characters are Penance, Angel, Trinary, Trinary, Multiple Man, Sarah St. John, and Windancer. Info page. It's a press release, basically saying that X-Corp created something super cool that'll improve bandwidth around the world, and uh, they'll, of course, reveal this at the Tech Talks Expo. And so, let's go there. Angel and Monet are walking around the grounds chatting on the cell phones here. Uh, we see a few of the stock Marvel tech companies. They've got stalls at this expo. Stark, Roxxon. Also, Noblesse. That's the new company we don't care anything about. And here's the kicker. They're introducing something called the Ionosphere. But I thought X-Corp was introducing that. Is Noblesse trying to spoil X-Corp's launch? Does anybody care? Um, uh, from here, we get several pages of Teeny Howard complaining about women not being allowed to run things, despite the fact that Monet and Sarah St. John seem to wield some very powerful positions in tech. Also, we've got Emma Frost and Call Me Kate running things on Krakoa, and Storm is, you know, president of the friggin' galaxy. Oh well. Uh, anyway, I guess whatever lets you ask the tough questions, I guess. Uh, the gimmick here is that Trinary, Trinary, and Windancer want to attend these women-only presentations. Now, Monet, she sees them as kind of a tech ghetto and doesn't want to go. Trinary, Trinary, and Sophia seem to only want to go because Monet is going in the first place. So, um, if none of them want to go, why are we even having this discussion Oh yeah, so our writer can complain about society. Back to Jamie. They're working on the IBG, when suddenly they're interrupted by a call from Layla Miller. And she's announced as being Layla Miller. Why not just Layla? Or, you know, your wife? Nah, Layla Miller is the character name, so we gotta call her Layla Miller. I know when my wife calls me, it's usually announced with her full name, sometimes social security number, and uh, blood type. Okay, moving on. Now, the gimmick here is that their son, Davey, Layla and Jamie, of course, is about to take his first steps, and Layla would like Jamie there to experience it. But he's too busy with the IBG. Now, this ticks Layla off, and she hangs up the FaceTime call. 
Jamie then decides to send a dupe to hang out with his family as he doesn't trust a dupe to do the IBG thing. And so the dupe heads home and plays with the tot. Now Jamie Prime, or Dr. Jamie I suppose, tells him to make sure you stay safe because I really want to reabsorb those memories. Boy, I hope nothing happens to that dupe. Okay, back to the expo. Monet chats up Sarah St. John, uh, basically to finger-wag her for dealing with the Nazis and the Fenris twins. You know, while Monet herself cozied up to Celine Gallo last issue, um, I I guess whatever gives our writer the opportunity to feel superior by going after the tough targets of friggin' Nazis, because, I mean, is there anyone listening to this or reading this book who is sympathetic to the Nazis? I don't think so. At least I certainly hope not. Um, but let's uh, let's talk about Celine here. Uh, I guess we're you know not supposed to remember that Celine was part of the power elite, <laughs> alongside Fenris's father, Baron Strucker. Yeah, that was three years ago. Who was even reading back then? Certainly not our writer. Oh well. At this point, uh, Monet tries to read Sarah's mind, like invades her mind, invades her thoughts. This backfires because Sarah has got the unmitigated gall of uh, wearing some sort of psychic inhibitor, a psychic blocker. From here, we hop over to Trinary Trinary and Windancer, and Sophia is trying to PR Trinary Trinary up by referring to her as a feminist Robin Hood, figuring they can play up her only character trait for the press, which only serves to remind us that this is her only character trait. Hmm. Suddenly, Trinary Trinary realizes that Monet's been smacked with a psychic reflector and the ladies rush to action. Back to Jamie. Bad stuff starts to happen regarding the IBG. Things kind of go caca, and the dupe who just hung out with the fam winds up getting deep fried. Of course, this is before Jamie can reabsorb him and the memories of his son's first steps, so it's doubly tragic. To the expo. Angel's on stage preparing to present the IBG when he gets a call from Trinary Trinary, who informs him that Monet's been Monet'd. Monet'd. Maybe it would be easier to say penance got penanced? I don't know. Uh, Whatever the case, Monet has gone nuts. And uh, she taps Warren into some surveillance footage of Monet penancing up and lunging towards Sarah St. John. You see, Sarah daring to wear a psychic inhibitor when dealing closely with someone who can read minds really got under Monet's skin. And I mean... uh, this is dumb. Um, like, would, if you're dealing with mutants who can read minds here, let's let's put ourselves into this world here. And you are a high-powered corporate executive working uh, in in you know competition with mutant corporate executives. Wouldn't you wear a psychic reflector of some sort? Isn't that just smart business? I, I don't know. For Monet to be surprised by this or to take offense to it is that's dumb. Anyway, Monet catches up to Sarah and gets all rah-rah Krakoa. Really, really annoyed that Noblesse is just daring to compete with them in the first place. Isn't that what businesses do? Uh, hmm. I mean, I'd never question the logic of one of our <clears throat> CXOs, but uh, shouldn't someone in a power position in a corporation have just a modicum of experience in, you know, little things like competition? Huh? Now, Sarah responds by calmly stating that there's room in the market for competition, especially when there's people out there who just don't plain trust mutants, right? And I know what you're thinking. I I thought it was only the conservative wingnuts who don't trust mutants because, you know, they terraformed Mars and all that stuff. 
But anyway, let's play this out for a bit here. Would you want Krakoa to be able to see your search history? Your bank account info? Passwords? Yeah, I don't think I would like that. Now, as Monet composes herself, Sarah talks about Cole, that guy who runs Noblesse. Uh, he's also tinkering with tech that can suppress and or eliminate mutant powers. Uh, so yeah, oh, another mutant cure. Now, with Monet's back turned, Sarah goes from rational human businesswoman to mustache-twirling villain by injecting her with a prototype of the cure. Um, I thought Monet had impenetrable skin. Yeah, maybe not, I don't know. Uh, Monet slumps to the ground, and Sarah leaves the room. Outside, she runs into Sophia in Trinery Trinery. She name-drops Squirrel Girl and then lets the gals into the room, where there's a great big hole in the ceiling, so I guess Monet split. Back to Warren. Now it's seconds before the IBG launch, and as expected, it's still going caca. And I suppose we'll find out why next issue, which uh, kind of sounds like a threat, doesn't it? Speaking of threat, anybody interested in an X-Corp bonus story? Because we got one. This is a story called Multiple Sabotage by Jason Liu. And it's just two pages of us following various Jamie dupes around. It's pointless, and I think I would call it a waste of two pages, but in this book, it's kind of a godsend. But uh, that, my friends, is where we leave it. Next episode, we're popping back in with the Marauders, and maybe we'll see uh, some more Hellfire Gala dust settling there. But that's a conversation for next time. How about we talk a little bit about X-Corp? Now I'm going to keep this as brief as possible because, uh, well, I mean, safe to say I did not care for this. I still don't care for this series. I still don't think that this series has a real reason to exist. And uh, you don't need to hear me say that over and over and over again. So, indeed, I will do my best to keep this as brief as possible. First, I just want to talk about a vibe that this book gives me here. And it's a... Oddly reminiscent of, like, one of those miniseries that would come out around the turn of the century that was from Vertigo. That would be, like, tangentially related to Sandman or Sandman characters here. They wouldn't be written by Neil Gaiman, but they would still carry a little bit of the Neil Gaiman cachet. So no matter how bad they were, uh, which a lot of them were kind of bad, uh, they would get kind of a pass because of their tangential and nebulous relationship to Neil Gaiman work. Or really just only exist in the first place due to what Neil Gaiman did before. That's kind of how I feel about X-Corp. It's a, it's a series that, to me, isn't necessary. It's a story that doesn't need to be told. And if, in fact, it does need to be told, I think it needs to be told with a different voice. You know? I mean, sure, the on paper, the concept of, well, we have these mutant magic meds here. It stands to reason that we would have some sort of R&D department and some sales involved in that. Sure, let's, uh, let's explore that. But uh, the execution here is quite lacking. And, you know, I'm looking here at the IBG, right? This is the big thing that Krakoa is going to uh, put out there for the world. And it's fast internet? Really? I mean, stop me if you heard this one before, but we're in the fantastical Marvel universe, right? Fast internet is going to is going to break the Tech Talk Expo? For real? Didn't we just terraform Mars? Aren't there satellites everywhere? What was that tech that Iron Man... Extremis? I mean, th there's technology out there that makes... an old technology, uh, relatively speaking, that makes fast internet look... 
I don't know, just a little quaint. And I mean, again, we just terraformed Mars, so this would kind of be like a magician making like five yachts disappear. And then as a follow-up, playing like, I got your nose with an infant, right? <laughs> I mean, this just doesn't seem like a, a good follow-up to uh, what Krakoa is actually able to do. I mean, they, they've cured diseases with these medicines, and they think that fast broadband <laughs> is... I, I don't know. Uh, it reminds me of when Chris Claremont introduced the Neo. You know, it's like, here are these, you know, th- these are to mutants what mutants are to humans. Like, okay, why? Because they are. Well, what, what, what makes their powers different from regular mutants? Well, just take our word for it. It's the way it is. I don't know. Enough of the IBG. Let's talk characters. Um, none of these characters look great. Uh, Warren, I guess we could argue, is the closest to looking decent in that uh, we don't spend much time with him. So we don't get the opportunity to not like him, I guess. He's just kind of there waiting for other people to do things so he can make his presentation. That's about it. Uh, Madrox, I I don't know how I feel about Jamie being all in on work. I feel like it uh, undermines a bit of the character work that uh, Peter David spent you know decades putting into him. Um, it just feels a little forced. And... Uh, in that regard here, we get that forced bit of tragedy where the dupe who plays with the with the son is incinerated. It's, I mean, as soon as he said, hey, be careful out there, you knew something was going to happen to him. And when it did happen, it was just like, okay, <laughs> well, that's, that's what happened. And Jamie maybe learns a lesson, maybe he doesn't. Um, Monet continues to be one of the most misused uh, characters in, in X-Comics. Just uh, not great at all. Now, if I had any faith that this was all going to come around and kind of bite Monet and maybe force her to reevaluate or realize her own naivete, then I could be like, okay, I can go with this, but I don't think that's coming. I could be wrong. Hopefully I am, but uh, something tells me I'm not. I think that's about all I got to say about the issue here, lest I just keep repeating myself into a, uh, into a tizzy. So we will leave it right there and... Uh, Hop right into the mailbag before we cut on out. We're going to start with Damien, who's talking about Sword number 5. Now, Damien says, This was my favorite issue of Sword to date. Some of that comes down to my having a much higher tolerance for Snark Wars from way back. It's weird that my bouncing around the episodes means that I'm going straight from Power Pack to the Snarks. I'm sure this wasn't written in order to fuel Power Pack nostalgia, but it did it for me. Clearly, the key element of this story was the Fabian Cortez trial. It was definitely a setup by Magneto. I guess he never got over X-Men Volume 2, 1 through 3. The element that stood out for me was the class issue. Fabian is shown as full of aristocratic privilege and is ultimately seen through by Peeper, who is clearly working class and has never had privilege. It's interesting to see class as a distinction within the Quiet Council, as they are the high class of Krakoa, but are also from different classes in human society. I felt like Cortez's true crime was trying to keep a human privilege instead of accepting that it was a new society. As you know, I'm reading certain books in real time and others on Unlimited, so I've already seen Cortez's appearances in Way of X. Reading this scene as about class privilege really adds texture to what's coming up. Maybe I'm seeing it because I'm reading out of order, but it seems to be in the mix. And I can certainly see where you're coming from there. Uh, We see Cortez in Way of X just... uh, (laughs) Especially in the fourth issue. He's trying to circumvent, or not even not so much circumvent, but uh, 
take advantage of the Krakoan laws as they're written, where, you know, they're purposely left uh, kind of broad. And that's something that we spent a bit of time talking about last episode, where it's like they're very simple. You know, they're black and white when you look at them, but when you stop to think about them, there is a lot more to them than that. And there's a lot of that is, is affected via perception. And we see that Cortez's perception might be a little bit different than that which was intended when the Quiet Council put these laws in uh, in practice. So Cortez is kind of this outsider, insider. I mean, he's, he's very nebulous in exactly where he stands on things here. And we can see that as an internal struggle as well as a uh, as an external struggle in Krakoan society, human society, just people society. So yeah, I, I don't think you're reading into things. I think that there that's definitely done with a purpose. And I can't believe we're at a point where when I see Fabian Cortez on the page, I get kind of excited <laughs> because I just like the way he's been portrayed up to this point here. If you would have told me that there would have been a scene that would have made me kind of sympathize with Fabian Cortez, I would have never believed it. And then just a little bit later, there's a scene where you want to see Nightcrawler beat his face in. It's, I, I really like the way he's being portrayed here. It's very, very well done. Uh, Damien wraps up with, Anyway, I feel like maybe we should start a campaign to get Peeper on one of the op- in one of the open seats on the Quiet Council. He would be great at it. He'd certainly be an interesting pick, that's for sure, uh, due to his abilities and uh, his look, you know. It would definitely spice things up, and it makes me wonder, like, are those seats ever going to get filled now? I mean, we know Hickman's leaving. Uh, we don't know who's if there is going to be someone taking over the head of X-Role, or if it's just going to be, you know, like, like comics are usually written, where it's just... Writers writing their books So I guess that will all uh, remain to be seen But uh, thank you so much for writing in On that issue of Sordia That was one I had a lot of fun reading as well here The Cortez trial was quite well done Just a, a real good issue And it's it's funny how it's one of the very few issues of Sword That hasn't been tied up in a crossover So we need more like this, I think Next up, we got Meal talking about Young Avengers. Now, Meal says, two emails ago, I, I talked about the short story Colossus, and this is in the Marvel Voices Pride story, uh, issue. And in your episode, you talked about letting these writers write more mainstream books. Well, the writer of Colossus was Kieran Gillen. So let's go back in time to 2013-2014 to his run of the Young Avengers. It's tangentially related to the X-Men through Scarlet Witch and Prodigy. The main problem of this book is that it was very focused on setting up Loki, Agent of Asgard, so it spends almost all the books centered around Kid Loki, who isn't an OG young Avenger that I care about. There's also the problem that Gillen wrote Speed out of the book because he didn't want the team to be too white male heavy. So why not just make him Romany like Wanda? Kind of like how Billy is Jewish like Wanda. And it's not like comics haven't given Romany characters white last names before, and uh, Meal cites Dick Grayson there. Or, instead of getting rid of the only black man and replacing him with another black man, we can have two black men on the same team, right? Now, your points here are very well taken here. I remember kind of getting excited for that run of Young Avengers here. I, I, I did get it in real time, and I, I read it, and uh, I didn't so much care for it. I was a fan of the McKelvey art far more than I was the Gillen writing, which is weird because I am a fan of Kieran Gillen. You know, Kieran Gillen, to me, kind of rescued the Uncanny X-Men book from uh, Matt Fraction. I was not too hot on the uh, Fraction run. I felt it was... It tried a little too hard to be cute, more often than not. And when Gillen came in, right around the time of Schism, it sort of righted the ship for me. 
which only served to make my disappointment of Volume 2 of Young Avengers a little bit more so. And I really like you bringing up uh, Speed being written out, and even if they were to have made him Romany, I don't know that that would have changed things, because while there's been, you know, a real push toward uh, representation in superhero teams and just in superhero comics in general, making Speed Romany is too subtle a distinction for many. As much as folks want to fight against superficiality here, um, if we were to look at a, you know, a full-page spread of uh, the Young Avengers team, Speed would just be the white guy. Meal continues, It may seem like I hated this book, which isn't true at all. Issue 6, The Toll, is the first comic book I ever read, and is still one of my favorite single issues of all time. And it's the reason why Tommy Shepard, despite not even having a hundred appearances, is my favorite superhero. It is a very good read, and if you ever need a mutant on a team without the whole human section of the team dumping on him, it's good for that. On that note, in issue 6, David has a great monologue about how his generation was just used as chess pawns, and you really feel for the guy. And after going back and reading his earlier stuff, I do like how this story has progressed his character, ignoring all the weird Teddy stuff. And now I'm starting to realize I don't remember a whole heck of a lot from that volume, other than some of the stuff that stuck out to me as annoying. (laughs) That's all I really remember from... That volume, I I even cited it in, oh boy, uh, Generation X Lapsed, where I looked at Volume 2 and the Marvel Legacy run of Generation X from 2018 or so, and it felt to me like that book was going to devolve into just uh, who was doing who, rather than actually being stories. Which, at the risk of oversimplifying uh, the Young Avengers volume a bit here, that's kind of what I remember it as. I could be mistaken, I could be remembering it wrong, it might just be bits and pieces that stuck out to me, but uh, I do remember wishing there was a little bit more meat on the bone for that story. I think the only um, Young Avengers story that I actually enjoyed was the Children's Crusade. Um, eight, I think it was an eight-parter, and it took like forever to come out, but it had a lot to do with... Uh, Wanda post-M-Day, Doctor Doom was in there. I remember liking it quite a bit, though it's probably been 10 years at least since I read it. So you never know. Maybe I'll find myself in a uh, waiting room for a long time at some point in the future, and uh, maybe I'll pop in on Marvel Unlimited and give it another look. Anyway, Meal wraps up with, I'll be back next time for more Mainline X stuff. And so until I get a Leia Williams Young Avengers Volume 3... Mine X lapsed. Well, thank you so much for writing in, Meal, and uh, never worry about um, about talking about things that aren't exactly X related. Here, I, I love talking about all things comic booky. So, if anybody out there wants to talk about any comics, hey, feel free to write in, and we will uh, we will do that thing. But thanks again for writing in, Meal, and it's always cool to hear uh, about people's first comics and uh, what brought them to the fandom and what uh, remained with them as they uh, as they grow into the fandom. So thank you very much for that. And finally, we got Evan talking about Kota number three, your Children of the Atom number three. Evan says, I agree, the burn is too slow, but I gave this issue credit for subverting some of my expectations. I thought Cole was obviously a mutant. So the stuff with real unity, admittedly not an unusual concept, was a curveball. And ever since stumbling upon them in Sensational She-Hulk number 3, I've always found Negan and his fellow headsmen oddly amusing. You're already there, but maybe we'll see Ruby Thursday and, um, the other ones in a future issue. Yeah, I don't think we will. (laughs) I'm not sure if this will ever be, uh, I'm not sure if this will ever be touched on again, which... Is bizarre, isn't it? If uh, if Children of the Atom is truly ending with issue six, are we going to tie up 
the Cole and Gorilla Man bit? I mean, are, do we even need to? I, I mean, there were, there's interesting stuff there, right? If Cole has mutant DNA in him now, whether or not he's legitimately a mutant or manufactured into having or exhibiting some mutant powers here, does that mean he's resurrectable? I don't know. Maybe it's a question that we'll have to ask some way down the line. Maybe we will never, ever see him again. I suppose it'll uh, remain to be seen here. I haven't read the last issue yet. I don't even have the last issue yet. It is out, and I know folks have read it, so they'd probably know better than I. Evan continues. And with the flashback, I presumed that we would see the kids get powers from Cosmic Rays or something, but we apparently didn't. Now, this is a reference if you haven't read Children of the Atom number three. If you haven't read Children of the Atom number three, none of what I just said made any sense to you here. Um, Let's break it down a little bit here. The Coda kids went to have dinner with Cole. Now, Cole is the, uh, like the big man on campus. He was very, very sick, came back, and came back better than ever. You know, he was great on the basketball court. He was, you know, just just an all-star uh, athlete after being next to death. And I think a lot of us saw him as like, oh, well, he must have manifested powers while away. Or maybe the whole sickness was his manifestation of powers, which will play into what we're going to talk about in just a minute. But, in fact, as Evan pointed out here, it did subvert our expectations in that he was just given like a some sort of a transfusion, like a DNA transfusion from a Gorilla Man's company, Real Unity, which makes him exhibit mutant powers. Now, as for the flashback, we got to see bits and pieces which were awkwardly laid into the comic. We didn't really get... It, it didn't... It wasn't clear at the get-go that we were getting a flashback. It was just like, well... Now, here's a scene. It's very bizarre. But it had the Coda kids on a spaceship, and they were attacked by or bombarded by some sort of beam. And uh, I think a lot of us thought that this is how they got their powers, or at least their technology, to facilitate the exhibition of powers. Wasn't the case at all. I don't know why we got this scene. Maybe it'll come back up. Maybe it won't. But... It did bring us to the ending of the issue, which was an odd cliffhanger, to say the least, and I'll let Evan share his thoughts on it first. Evan says, First thing I thought when Carmen hit the deck was the brood. Flashing back to the story from the Australian-era X-Men when they fought those mutant brood. Maybe we need the king of the brood to come in and fix this... Omelette? I couldn't think of a better egg joke. And, uh, yeah, the king of the brood, Brew, you know, that guy who donate the king egg back in that uh, two-parter X-Men story, which I loved so, so much. As in, not really at all. Um, Now, the ending of this issue, if you haven't listened to the show or if you haven't read the book, uh, Carmen, Carmen gimmick of the Children of the Atom was feeling sick. And she started to uh, get very violently ill, and it looked to affect her, you know, physiology. And as Evan put it here, and as I put it during the episode here, I think a lot of us thought that this might have something to do with the brood, because the way she was kind of like hunched over and the way her appearance changed, it was very indicative of, uh, you know, the brood. Might that have been interesting? Maybe. Maybe. But uh, I feel like we, uh, we just fell into... The Occam's Razor of Comics. Uh, Occam's Razor? Is that the way we can say this? I'm trying to portmanteau Occam's Razor in comics. Occam's Razor. Uh, Yeah, that doesn't sound natural at all, and it feels really weird coming out my mouth, but uh, we'll use that for now. Until something better comes along, we'll use Occam's Razor. Um, This was just a sign that Carmen was manifesting mutant powers, and 
Of course, we find out later that she is the only member of the Children of the Atom, at least at the moment, who is legitimately a mutant. It's weird. Uh, you know, I'm looking at this book here, and I and my first thoughts when we got Children of the Atom was like, this can't be an ongoing, because there just isn't enough story to tell. And I do still stand by that, because had this story been told more expediently, um, I think we still would have only gotten six issues out of it. Digging deeper into coal, digging deeper into, you know, how did they get on this jet, this spaceship? There's stories that could still be told here, but uh, as Evan pointed out and as, as we've been talking about, this has been an exceptionally slow burn and is almost painfully decompressed. Uh, you know, the first two issues were almost the same insofar as the uh, the big story beats. Feels like we got two of the same issue. But uh, I'll stop kvetching about that and just thank Evan for his mail on Children of the Atom number three. Now, speaking of mail, if anybody out there would like to write in, I would encourage you to do so. We are just about a week out from this show's um, one-year anniversary. And uh, that's also one year of daily podcasts from this channel. So, uh, hey, if anybody out there would like to make me feel a little bit less like I wasted a lot of time, <laughs> please feel free to write in and say kind things to me. You could reach me several different ways. Uh, on Twitter at Ace Comics. You can shoot an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. You can leave a voicemail at 623-396-JERK. You could pop over to chrisisoninfiniteearths.com and leave a comment if you'd like. You could also join the Facebook group. That's 90s X-Men on Facebook. Finally, for the entire Chris and Reggie and X-Lapse archives, you could head to chrisandreggie.podbean.com, available everywhere the internet aggregates noise. And, uh, well, if you lived there, you'd be home right now. Or something. Anyway, that'll do it for today. I'd like to thank you all so much for sharing your time with me during this uh, challenging episode of X-Lapsed. And until next time, as always... I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya.